Over the last couple of days, we've had the honor of hosting a number of uh, conventions and a district assembly um, for the Church of the Nazarene. For those of you who are maybe new to the church, you may not know that we're part of a family called the Church of the Nazarene, a beautiful network of mosaic congregations. They, we're part of the Philadelphia District Church of the Nazarene, 50, 60 churches. And so over from Thursday to Saturday afternoon, we were able to host a gathering of several hundred Nazarenes that came together. And so I'd like to express my appreciation to all of you who participated. Dozens and dozens and dozens of people just really rose up, and I want to say thank you to you. We have our district superintendent and his wife that are with us today, Carrie Willis and Kim. So we want to give greetings to them. And Pastor Carrie, would you come on up? Well, on the night that the Lord's Supper was instituted, uh, Jesus also washed the feet of his disciples. And Lansdale Emanuel has been washing the feet of the district the last few days. And we are humbled in our hearts by that kinship. So thank you if you've invested at all in Emmanuel. You have invested in the district, Church of the Nazarene. And we just love you and your pastor and his wife. And so I'm from a little coastal island. And uh, when it comes time for gifts, uh, there are certain gifts that mean more to island boys. And uh, I reached in my collection of waterfowl decoys. And I said, I want to give something to Pastor Mark and Precious Holly uh, to have in their home or office to remind them that we love them. And they are such a beautiful couple that I could do none else except to reach in to my collection and get what many call the most beautiful duck, the wood duck. And so uh, I'm going to present this to you again in the second service, so act surprised. <laughs> but uh, I just want you to know that uh, this, uh, this came out of my collection, so I selected it and thought it was beautiful, and it just seems like it ought to go to your place. So thank you, Pastor, for washing our feet. And uh, whenever you see this, just know that you are cherished. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, hold on. To thank you. Happy to you. Now take it back. Yep, now take it back. <laughs> That's the glory of two services. We also have a very special guest uh, with us this morning, Dr. David Busick. He's um, general superintendent in the Church of the Nazarene. He presided over our district assembly um, Friday evening into Saturday. Um, Dr. Busick was a pastor for 18 years, and then he was elected in 2011 to Nazarene Theological Seminary as a president. And then in 2013, he was elected general superintendent in the Church of the Nazarene. And um, that's the highest office in the Church of the Nazarene. So you met Carrie, he's my boss, and Carrie's boss is David. You got that? Okay. But here's what you need to know about Dr. David. He's a pastor at heart, and he loves Jesus tremendously. And so I'm asking you to open up your heart to Dr. David as he comes and shares a message. Would you like to express your greeting to him as he comes? Well, good morning, church. I greet you today in the strong name of Jesus, and it's such a privilege for me to get to be with you. I leaned over to Pastor Mark today and this morning, and I said, every time I have a chance to be with a local parish, I'm reminded of how much I miss being a pastor. 
And I'm especially reminded of what it means, uh, how much I miss being a pastor when I'm in the presence of an outstanding pastor. I think you know we have over uh, 30,000 churches of the Nazarene around the world, but there's no finer pastor that I know than Pastor Mark Prue. And would you like to just say thanks for, for him? I've only really known Mark for about a year, but I've been so impressed with his ministry, I can already say, I, I, I don't, if we have a finer one, I don't know where they are. Pastor Kerry and Kim, what a delight to be with you this week, and, and I want to say a huge thank you to, to you. I know your pastor did that, but uh, you kind of expect your pastor to say thank you, but I want to be sure that you know from our hearts how much we appreciate you opening up your, your uh, church and with your hospitality. You did a, a wonderful job, and the only problem is, is when you do a, a job like this, the likelihood of us coming back is, re- is really, really strong, so <laughs> maybe you made a mistake in that, but, but thank you. You're a part of a global family. And in 162 countries of the world, and 2.6 million members who call themselves Nazarene. And those are just the members. And I say that because I want you to know that as wonderful as Lansdale Emanuel Church is, and it is, you're a part of a much bigger thing in the world that God is doing. And Anne was just ordained into the ministry of that 2.6 million fellowship. So... Thank you again for allowing us to be here, and I'm looking forward to bringing the word to you today, and I'd invite your attention to God's word in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, if, if you're not familiar with the Bible, Philippians would sound like a weird place to read from. What in the world does Philippians mean? Well, there was, there was a person named Saul who at one point in his life was a radical fundamentalist terrorist whose sole purpose in life was to destroy the Christian church. But he had an encounter with the risen Christ, the same risen Christ that you have had an encounter with. And it changed his life forever. And he became the Apostle Paul, the first missionary to the Gentile church. And one-third of the entire New Testament of the Bible is written by this man. But these are not just random uh, books that he's written. They were actually specific letters that he wrote to churches that he either helped to start or that he helped to oversee and shepherd. All through Asia Minor and and that part of the Greco-Roman world, he would travel around to different cities, like he'd come into a place like Philadelphia and he would establish a church there and that little body of believers and they would begin to grow and then he would move on to another city and do the same thing. And the only way he could correspond with them was through letters. It, he, couldn't, he couldn't be omnipresent with them. So what we're reading here is actually a letter that was written that we still have a copy of. That, and, and so you could say this is, this is a letter to the church. So beginning with verse 1 of Philippians chapter 1 and verse 2, this is what it says. Would you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word? It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people 
in Christ Jesus at Philippi, the city of Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to be gathered around your word. What a privilege it is. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together will will be pleasing to you, honoring to your name, and edifying for your people. And we pray it in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. I told you that the Apostle Paul has is the author or at least the person who is accredited with writing one-third of the New Testament. And it's interesting that in every single one of those letters of correspondence that we have, that Paul begins all of his letters with the exact same words. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It may, it may come in a different form, but that's the essence of exactly how he starts all the letters. For example, look at Romans 1, verse 7. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Apparently he felt like he needed to do a little more for the church in Corinth. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you starting to hear a theme? And he begins Galatians with grace and peace. And he begins 2 Corinthians with grace and peace. And he begins Philemon and Timothy and Titus and Thessalonians with the exact same words. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, my theory is either Paul was having serious writer's block. Either he had... Either he was having some kind of a rut in his writing, or he was being very intentional. And I dare say, even inspired by God. Because all of them, before he ever says anything about, here's what I want you to do, before he gave any, any challenge, any, any rebuke, any other source of encouragement, in every single time, he said, grace and peace to you, from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And you need to understand that this was not the typical greeting in the Greco-Roman world. They did not say grace and peace to you. They, they actually used another word uh, that was a greeting. It was called kyrene. Someone say kyrene. And kyrene basically meant, meant rejoice, but when it was used as a salutation, it meant hi. How are you? Good to see you. Kyrene. That's, that's the way they greeted each other, and that's the way we greet each other. Hi, how are you? But Paul's greeting became a play on words because he didn't say the word kyrene, which is the Greek word. He said the word charis, and you can kind of hear the interplay. You can't see it in English, but you can see it in the Greek language. And charis didn't mean hi, it meant grace to you. 
And I have a feeling that the people who heard these Christians talking to each other, they would say, isn't it interesting how, how these Christians speak to each other? They don't just say, what's up? They say, a blessing. They are blessing each other. They, they, they are offering a blessing. The Lord bless and keep you. That was an ancient blessing even before this, but now this is a brand new way. Because this is how Christians speak and think and act toward each other. And this is how they think, act, and speak to the world. We are a unique people. We are not just an everyday person walking down the street. We are the set-apart people of God who have a unique way of speaking and thinking and acting in the world. What does it mean to be people of grace and peace? What, what, is, what does that look like in, in a place uh, like, like we live today, this world that we were talking about earlier in our worship time? So there's, there's two words I want us to think about for just a minute, and they're, they're very familiar words to you if you've been a part of the church for very long. And that's, this first word is the word grace. I, I doubt there's anyone here who wouldn't have some semblance of a definition for the word grace. If you were to ask somebody, you could kind of describe what it is. It's, we study it. We learn about it. We, we think about it. And my favorite definition of grace is very simply, it's the favor given to someone who deserves the opposite. We deserved to be treated one way by God, but God in his grace and mercy chose to treat us not as we deserved. He chose to treat us with unconditional, undeserved love. Grace means gift. It means free gift. It means, it means it's, not it's not reciprocity. It's not you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You do me a favor, I'll do you a favor. No, it's not transactional in any way. It is pure, unconditional, undeserved favor given to you, which means something very important. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you less than he does right now. I want you to think about that. This is hard for people who like to earn our way to understand. But what that means is that there's nothing... You, you can't be a better Christian. You can't pray more. You can't give more. You can't work with the poor more. You can't be a more giving person and have God say, I love you more now because of your good behavior than I, do, than I did before. Why? Because your behavior was never based on God's grace to begin with. God loved you when you weren't a good person. And so how can being a better person make him love you more? Likewise, you can't fall down on the job. You, you can't stumble in your Christian walk. And you can't even just become an, a blatant, outright sinner shaking your fist into the face of God and, and have him say, I don't love you like I loved you yesterday. Because now your behavior, you're, you're starting to get kind of poor behavior. No, his grace says it wasn't based on your behavior, so it can't change by bad behavior. That's what this means when we talk about grace. It's Completely undeserved. You couldn't pay back God for his grace and love in a thousand lifetimes. You can only respond to it. So question. What does it mean to say to another person, may God treat you better 
than you deserve. It's quite a statement. And then we have this other word, peace. Now, peace is another pretty popular word, but let me tell you what peace doesn't mean in the New Testament. It doesn't mean the absence of conflict. It doesn't mean everybody is getting along. It it doesn't mean that there's not disagreements. That's not what peace means. Peace is from the Hebrew word shalom. Your pastor used it earlier. He actually used that in another time of the district assembly. So I know you know what shalom means. Shalom doesn't mean the absence of conflict. It means wholeness. It means completeness. It, It means every part working together just as God intended it to be. So shalom over creation is God's good creation working the way he intended it to be. Shalom in a person's life means that all all of that brokenness that sin has caused and wreaked havoc in our lives, that God is in the, the place of shalom where he's putting all of those pieces back together again. So to say to another person shalom, it doesn't mean may you never have another problem in your life. What does it mean to say to another person May God take all the broken pieces of your life and put them back together again. May you find your full, complete purpose in the plan of God. Grace and peace to you. This is a unique way of speaking. This is not, I mean, you, have, you can spend five minutes on Facebook and know this isn't how the world talks to each other. But this is who we are. We are the people of grace and peace. Paul emphasized it constantly before he would say one other word. You are the grace and peace people. This is how we think. This is how we act. This is how we speak into the world. And this is what makes us salt and light in the world. Because it's it's a very different way of thinking. And we need grace and peace. I I don't know of a more divided time in our country. And I... And I'm 54 years old, and I can tell you, in my memory, I don't remember a time we needed more grace and peace in the United States than we do right now. In your neighborhood, in your homes, in your schools, this is our moment. This is the moment for grace and peace people. But, but I have to tell you that grace and peace is not something that's, that's rooted in your sp- specific circumstance. In other words, your life doesn't have to be completely awesome. For you to be a person of grace and peace. Do you have any idea where Paul was actually writing these words from? These words to the Philippian church? But he want to take a guess? He was in prison. And I'm glad you said prison and not just jail. He wasn't in just some kind of a holding cell somewhere. He was in a prison. In fact, he actually says in the book of Philippians, as I write this, my hands are in shackles. So he's either, he's either dictating this to a person who's writing it down or he's actually writing these words with his hands in shackles and he's not just in a prison. I mean, we already know he's not drinking lemonade somewhere on a, on a beach under an umbrella. Prison is not a good place and I, I, have, I don't want to go to prison. I've seen the reality shows. You know, and I, I don't think prison's a good place. But I can promise you a Roman prison wasn't a place where you got to pump iron all day and watch ESPN and have three square meals a day. That's not what was happening in Roman prisons. Roman prisons were hell holes. 
And I literally mean whole. Because they dug it out of the ground and, and they just put men and turned them into animals in this hole that was full of rats and disease and violence and it was, it was wet and cold. In fact, people didn't live long in Roman prisons. Most people lived no more than a month. And the reason is if somebody didn't kill you in that prison or if you didn't kill yourself because you couldn't bear to stay in that prison, you starved to death. Because in Roman prisons, they did not feed you. And they just thought, if you're going to be an insurrectionist, if you're going to undermine the government, why would we use our money to, to feed you? So the only way you survived is if your friends took care of you. If your friends brought you food or if they brought you money to get food, that's the only food you got. In fact, this entire book of Philippians turns out to be a giant thank you note from Paul to the Philippian church who's 700 miles away. Think about this. This is, this is before getting in a car. 700 miles away, the Christians in Philippi heard Paul is in prison. And they called a special board meeting and they said, somebody's got to do something about this. And so they raised an offering. And then they said, is anybody here? Can anybody take off three months from work and go take this and deliver this to the Apostle Paul? And some guy named Epaphrodites raised his hand. He said, I'll do that. And we don't know exactly what happened to Epaphroditus on the way to Rome to deliver this gift, but we know he almost died because Paul talks about it in Philippians, about the fact that Epaphroditus, by the grace of God, is going to survive. So there's no telling what happened along the journey, but when he finally delivered it, Paul was so overwhelmed with gratitude. And in the midst of this horrible situation, that he he said, you have expressed grace and peace to me. You are treating me better than I deserve. You're, you're, you're praying for God's wholeness in my life. And I, and I thank you for that. Paul was actually waiting and knowing that he could be executed any day. And in, in Roman times, the moment the judge brought down the gavel and they said, you're guilty, you didn't, you didn't wait for 20 years on death row hoping to get a pardon. They basically took you outside, either cut your head off or they crucified you. So this is the circumstance Paul is in. But in the midst of that, he is overflowing with grace and peace. Because grace and peace isn't based on your situation. It's not based on your external circumstances. Grace and peace wells up from within you, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. And and you can be carrying the heaviest burdens and be in the worst situation imaginable, and you can still be overflowing with grace and peace. So what's this look like? What does this look like in in the real world that you and I live in? I was sitting in my office as a pastor, and it was about 10.30 in the morning, and I went, oh no, I forgot. Today is my son's 16th birthday. And I'd gotten out of the house without telling him happy birthday. That's a pretty big deal when you're 16. That's, that's a mile marker. And I thought, I can't let Ben go all day long and think that I just didn't care about his birthday. And so I got in my car, I drove over to his school, and I, went, I knew the principal, so I went into the principal's office, and I said, any way we can get Ben down to the office, I just need one minute. And he said, hey, no problem. But I didn't know what he was, how he was going to get him there. Because he got on the intercom, and, and it went something like this. 
Ben Busick, come to the office, please. Ben Busick. Oh, that's not good. And as soon as he said that, all of a sudden, the bell rings. And you know what that means in a high school? That means everybody's changing classes. So all of a sudden, I'm waiting at the principal's office, and here comes Ben with about 15 of his buddies. Not exactly the place I wanted to humble myself and say I'm sorry to my son. But he came walking up, and he had this big grin on his face. He knew exactly why I was there. And, and he, did, he just kind of let me do my thing. And I said, hey, Ben, how's it going? And he said, hey, Dad, it's good. What's going on? And, well, this is your 16th birthday, and, and I forgot to tell you, and I feel like a horrible dad. And, you know, I just gave him the whole thing. I said, I'm, I'm really sorry, but I just, I love you, and I, I just wanted to say happy birthday. And he said, oh, Dad, it's, it's okay. I knew you loved me, and, and thanks for coming by. And Okay, well, I guess I'll see you later tonight then. Okay, see you, Dad. It's awkward. Like, what do I do now? I thought I didn't want to embarrass him in front of his friends, and so I kind of went, okay, then, high five. <laughs> and Ben just went, totally left me hanging. And I thought, okay, I deserve that. And I said, see you later. And I started to step away. And you know what my 16-year-old son did? Right there in front of 15 of his friends, he stepped in front of me like this. And he reached out and he put both arms around me and he gave me one of the biggest bear hugs I'd ever gotten. And I don't mean one of those like man hugs, like, hey, love you, man. You know, one of those things. But I mean a full-on serious hug. And it took me by surprise to the point when I hugged him back, I hugged him for a second and I let him go and he didn't let me go. He, it was a long, enduring hug. And finally, after about 10 seconds, I, I started to kind of tear up and I thought, I can't break down and start crying in front of my friend's sons and But you know what I felt about 10 seconds into that hug? Oh, this is grace and peace. This hug is grace and peace. I'd I'd made a big mistake. He could have been passive aggressive. He could have held on to that for a while. But in that moment, unashamed, my, my son said to me, Grace and peace to you, Dad. Christy and I, my wife, we were sitting at a restaurant having dinner with friends, and my cell phone rang. I looked down on the cell phone, and it was my daughter, my youngest daughter, Madison, calling, and she never called me. I thought, oh, no, this could be an emergency. And so I said, hey, Maddie, what's going on? And she said, Dad, I just had a question. Is there supposed to be water pouring through the lights in our kitchen? I said, I don't know. Let me ask your mom. No, I I said, "Uh, no, I don't think so. She said, well, it's not raining, and it's pouring through these can lights. And and I don't mean it's coming in a little bit, Dad. It's it's pouring in so much, there's like inches of water all over the floor and going into the living room and into the dining room. It's just everywhere. And so we got in our car, we raced home, and we discovered that there was an upstairs toilet that had been running and overflowing for nine hours. And it was the bad kind of toilet water. It was the dirty, gross, 
toilet water, and it smelled, and, and we looked at the mess. By the time we got there, it was just all over the house. And I told the kids, I said, go change your clothes. This is going to be an all-nighter for us. And we got down, and we started getting down in that gross toilet water. And would you believe it? Bong, bong. You've got to be kidding me. Someone's here. Someone's at her house now. Went back into the closet, put on my suit, went to answer the door. No, I didn't do that. I opened the door. It's Lewis and Rita from our church. Hey, Pastor. Hey, Lewis, Rita. And they, and they said, we, we heard you had a problem here. And I said, well, I don't know how you heard that, but we do have a problem. Well, we're here to, we're here to help clean it up. And I said, oh, no. No, yeah, I, I can't let you. This is the bad kind. This is bad. They said, no, Pastor, we're not leaving. Well, okay, come on in, and Lewis and Rita come in, and they start cleaning, and bong, bong. I go to the door. There's Tim and Darlene. They've got some fans, and they said, Pastor, we heard you had a problem. I said, well, come on in. It's a party. So <laughs> they came in. Bong, bong. That wasn't a very one. Bong, bong. <laughs> There's Phil Lighthill. He's a carpet guy. He doesn't even say anything. He just comes in and starts ripping up carpet. And I'm not kidding you, in the next 30 minutes, we've got 50 people from the church all through my house. Some of them are in my refrigerator, others are kind of sitting in the living room. <laughs> but there's just Nazarenes everywhere. And, and there's a moment when I'm in the kitchen on my hands and knees and I'm cleaning up and, and I can hear people laughing all through the house. And I just smile. And I had, in that moment, the same feeling I had when Ben hugged me. I said, this is grace and peace. This is what grace and peace feels like in the community. You share life together in the good times and in the dirty toilet water times. And, and it's just living life together in the good, in the bad, in the ordinary stuff of life. This is how you say, may God treat you better than you deserve. And may he take the broken pieces of your life and put them back together again. Grace and peace to you. It was a Friday night. I got on an airplane. And if you're a business traveler, you know Friday nights are not the time to fly. That's when everybody's coming home from work and they're for the weekend. Everybody's tired and exhausted and they just don't want to be on a plane. And they're about ready to shut the door. It was already really crowded. And in she walked. She's a young mother. She's about 25, 26 years old. And she came walking onto the plane. And she had a screaming baby on one shoulder. And she had on her other shoulder these two giant backpacks that were diaper bags of some kind. And, just, and she had on a leash pulling her down the aisle, a two-year, three-year-old terrorist <laughs> who was walking down every seat, slapping each seat as he went by and literally dragging her. Have you seen these leashes I'm talking about? Dragging her down the aisle. And I, I mean, it was... I wish you could have seen the looks on all the people's faces. It was like she had just unleashed the bubonic plague on that plane. And I, I want to confess, I had kind of an unsanctified moment. And I sat there in my seat and I said, 
Oh God, if you love me, please don't let her sit by me. And then I looked at her face. And she looked so tired. She was, she was exhausted. It looked like she hadn't had a good night's sleep in a month. She was almost numb to all of the screaming and the pulling and the carrying. And I thought, I should really help her. But I didn't. And all of a sudden, Jesus stood up. It wasn't Jesus, actually. It was a woman three seats behind me, and over the screaming and the yelling, I could hear her say, excuse me, dear. She's, she's about 60 years old. Excuse me. She said, it looks like you've got your hands full. And, and she said, can I help you? I, I love babies. She said, I'm really good with babies. Could I take your baby for you while you get your stuff put away? And, and then she said, she really laid it on the line. She said, and I'm pretty good with little boys, too. I've got a seat right here next to me by the window. We, she, he could sit by me, and we could color for the whole trip together. And I wish you could have seen the look of relief on that young mother's face. I wish you could have seen the look of relief of all of our faces, for that matter. <laughs> and she reached out, and she took that baby and started patting the baby, and she took that little boy, and she wrapped him up over here, and he calmed down. And then she started, the girl started putting her things in the overhead bin, and I could see tears coming down her face, and they weren't tears of exhaustion. They were tears of relief that somebody, a total stranger, for a moment, had offered her some grace and some peace. And I thought, I wish I'd have been the grace and peace person. One more quick story. The Sunday night church when I was in seminary and Christy and I were sitting there together and they were having what Nazarenes used to have what we call testimony services. And that was when people would just stand up the whole service and, and talk about what God was doing in their life and God's faithfulness. And that's what was going on. And, and one of the women stood up on this side of the sanctuary and she said, she said, hey everybody, my name's Carol. And she said, I think you know that about a year ago, I was diagnosed with cancer. And I've been going through treatments for the last uh, year. And, and I went to the doctor this last week, and she said, I want you to know the doctor told me I am cancer-free. She said, I don't have cancer. God is faithful. And when she said that, the whole church just erupted in applause and yay God and praise the Lord and all of that. And then Carol sat down. But when she sat down, I'll never forget, there was another woman on the other side whose name was Dorothy. And Dorothy stood up and she said, Thank the Lord, Carol. I think all of you know that I have cancer too. And she said, I went to the doctor this week. And the doctor told me that my cancer has grown and that if something doesn't happen, I probably don't have long to live. But she said, I want you to know, I still have cancer, but God is still faithful. And when she said that, the whole place went crazy again. Yay, God. 
And as everybody was cheering for Dorothy and for Carol, you know the feeling I have. It's the exact same feeling. This is grace and peace. This is what it means to be people who, whose, whose grace and peace is not given from the outside in. It comes from the inside out. And it, it's not that the outward affects the inward. It's that what's going on in you is affecting everything else. This is what it means to be grace and peace people. My brother and sister, what would it be like if, if every single morning you woke up and you said, oh, grace and peace. Every time you took in a breath, every time you had a chance to love the rain on a Sunday morning, every time you saw a child playing, every time you saw a sunset, every time you walked a dog, you said, oh, this is grace and peace. But you know what? It's not just based on the goodness. It's, it's based on the relationships of your life. Grace and peace in our homes. What if, what if in that situation where your teenager was talking back again and you had to just kind of take a deep breath and, and inhale and you say, okay, Grace and peace. Grace and peace in our home. What if next time you were going into a difficult meeting at work and you knew there was going to be some harsh words spoken, you said, if there's nobody else going to do it, I'm going to be the grace and peace person. What if every time you were tempted to say something on Facebook or, or you were tempted to say to another person, you know, I normally don't share things like this, but I think we really need to pray for Pastor Mark. What if you said, wait a minute, no, we are grace and peace people. We're different. We live grace and peace. We think grace and peace. We extend it. And I know that in a place like this, I, you, this is a friendly, loving church. I think you're a grace and peace church. But I know for a fact, because I was a pastor for 18 years, that that there's people that come in every Sunday morning that even though they have experienced grace and peace, they're not feeling grace and peace. And part of why they come on a Sunday like this and they get out of bed and they go through the rain, they're hoping that someone will look them in the eye and maybe not even say these words, but just say, I need somebody to treat me better than I deserve. And I need somebody who's going to pray for God's wholeness with all of the weird brokenness of my life. And you get a chance to do that today. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to stand up in just a second. And I'm going to ask you not to just go up to somebody and say, what's up? Or nice shoes. I'm going to ask you to look some people in the eye. And put out your hand. And say, grace and peace to you. And then I want you to say something that you like about them. And if the only compliment you can come up with is nice shoes, that's totally fine. But it would be really meaningful if you said something else, like, I've been watching you, and I've seen this in your life, and you've been a blessing to me. You know what that is called? It's called grace and peace. So stand up right now, if you would. If you're first time in the building, it's okay. People are going to come to you. You don't need to be weirded out about that. But it would be good if you're married to start with your spouse. 
and then go to somebody else and make sure that everybody gets some grace and peace right now. Go ahead and just grace and peace each other. church today. I, I pray grace and peace over you. May you be blessed as you go. May the, the Lord's face shine upon you and his grace and peace be extended in you and through you to one another. God is faithful and he will use you to bring restoration and healing and wholeness to the people around you. Don't miss the opportunity to extend that this morning this week. Go in peace. Amen.